Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Hey, John, I am so excited to get our podcast rolling. Um, this has been on our hearts and our minds for a few years now, and we're just getting it started. So I'm really, be, I'm really glad to be doing this with you. Um, how has your week been? Yeah, it's been, it's been really good. Um, you know, in my role right now, I'm the worship pastor. And so most of my attention and my energy has been spent just working with our worship teams and getting to know the leaders kind of developing a vision for the worship ministry. So it's been good. How about you? Yeah, so I was telling you earlier that we're uh, going through Esther for our sermon series right now. Uh, I think it's just a really helpful story to uh, remind us of who God is. And especially as we're in a pandemic, uh, as we're thinking through racial injustice, Esther has a lot of helpful insight talking about, you know, God being sovereign, God being gracious, God being faithful, and calling us and calling his people to have responsibility in stepping out and taking risks in their faith uh, for the benefit of others. So um, I've just actually been really excited to, to be back in, in Esther preparing for a sermon, something that, you know, I learned when I was a kid in Sunday school and now being able to, to, to help our church and our people understand some really like timeless truths about God. So yeah, that's what, that's what I've been working on. That's awesome. It sounds like such a timely series. I'll look forward to popping in and listening to your sermons since everything is online now. I'm super excited because today we have our very first guest to the podcast. And I know we've t- talked about doing something like this and having guests on for a long time now. And to finally see it come to fruition, that's pretty awesome. So do you want to introduce our, our guest for today? Yeah, Absolutely. Our guest is Pearson Lau. He is the English pastor at Trinity Grace Church in Highland Park, Illinois. Uh, he's also a really good friend of you and me. And so partly this is just fun for us to hang out, but also it's, uh, as we said last week, something that, uh, you know, as we highlight stories of Chinese churches, we also want to be learners of other ministry leaders and pastors. And this is an opportunity for us to kind of sit at the feet of Pearson and, and hear him tell his story and uh, and give us insight on how we can be better ministers in Chinese churches. So welcome, Pearson. Thanks for joining us on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. No, no, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Please do not sit at my feet. I am pretty sure I'm learning as well, too. Well, regardless, we'll, we'll hopefully learn from each other as we go through these. Yeah. So besides the people at the church, what is something that would make an outsider or a guest who walked in your church know this is a Chinese church the very first time that they walked in? Yeah, I think that question can be asked on multiple levels. If you come into the church and you're able to see, I mean, just the three congregations and you're able to hear the different languages spoken in each congregation, Mandarin, Cantonese, and English, uh, that would be a dead giveaway that this is a Chinese immigrant church. Um, but I think if you were just a visitor to the English ministry, uh, that might be a different story. I think Asian churches have oftentimes been much more willing to assimilate into majority culture. And in the case of American churches, there's a lot of similarities that second generation uh, English ministries of Asian churches and Chinese churches, there's a lot of normalized uh, 
I mean, I guess you can call it white normalization. Uh, when you look at the songs that we sing, uh, when you look at the way that we preach, when you look at the things that we emphasize, there's very little to distinguish it between that of a Chinese immigrant church and a, and a white church. There are like some cultural artifacts that you'll be able to discern if you dug a little bit deeper. Our love for food, our sensitivity towards uh, generational conflict and generational healing, how much we value table fellowship uh, and time spent together. Uh, these are all artifacts that we would inherit uh, from, I think, our, our first-gen fathers and mothers, which is a huge strength uh, to the ministry. Uh, but by and large, I think if you're a first-time visitor and you, you were blindfolded and you just experienced uh, what a Sunday worship set would look like, you would think you were at a white American church. Yeah, as you were, you know, explaining some of those, you know, uh, artifacts, I think that those are elements that we see throughout as you were saying, a lot of Chinese churches and something that makes us unique, that helps us to kind of uh, stand out as a people of God that are distinct from maybe wider culture uh, and wider Christian culture. You know, we asked that question. I think w one of the reasons why we wanted to, to have you on our podcast was to ask you about, you know, the name change. For most Chinese churches, they have Chinese in the name, right? Mm -hmm, Recently, mm -hmm. you guys changed your name to Trinity Grace Church and you removed Chinese from your original name, that would have been an indicator for people that this is, an, this is a Chinese church. But because you've removed that, can you take us behind the process for the name change? Uh, what were the reasons for it? Uh, and then what are some of the challenges, challenges you guys faced in going through the name change? Yeah, uh, I had the pleasure of serving as the rebranding task force chair, which basically was the committee that was behind initiating and executing uh, the entire rebrand of the church, which included the name change. Uh, so the name change fell under a greater umbrella of rebranding, and rebranding has a lot to do with vision casting, direction, uh, outreach, and what defines us as a community. And so the onus behind that name change then uh, was largely based off of a desire to think about how our church can expand our ministry uh, beyond Chinese. Um, not to exclude Chinese from our ministry, uh, but to look beyond Chinese immigrants as our field of ministry and outreach. Um, a lot of this, I think, was spearheaded by some of our early English leaders. I think one thing that we've always struggled with is, as an English ministry, we would look to the Chinese congregations, both Mandarin and Cantonese, and for those two congregations, uh, their field of outreach and how they reach out to people uh, was just so, it made so much sense, right? You had Mandarin speakers inviting other Mandarin families that have moved into the area for a Chinese meal where they get to know other Mandarin families in the local area. And it's like, man, this is such a fruitful ministry. And like our, us English leaders, we would kind of look at that forlornly because it's like, man, like, we wish we had that, but we're all American and like we live in our mother culture, right? Experiencing American culture is not a big draw for us. And we have to think then very critically about who we're reaching out to. At some point, you know, we do see a growing uh, second generation population, uh, specifically where Trinity Grace Church is. But part of that too was also thinking, you know, we're Chinese Americans and 
in as much as we need to think about what it means for us to be Chinese, we also need to think about what that means for us to be Americans and what God's plan is then for us. Why is it that he has us here in America in the time in which he has us? And struggling with those things uh, theologically and biblically, specifically looking at the book of Acts, um, just moved uh, a lot of our leaders to start looking outside of our cultural comfort zones and looking into um, our local communities, including Jewish communities, Hispanic communities, and hopefully uh, beyond as well. Uh, we're situated right next to Highwood, which has a, a large Hispanic population. And so why is it that we are here? Is it just because our land happens to be here? Maybe, and maybe not. We need to pray and think very biblically about this. And all of that, I still haven't answered your question. Um, so the onus then behind the name change is basically an expression of saying, you know, God, expand our ministry field and, and, and use us in any way you would want to use us. Help us not to be hindered by our cultural comforts. So the name Trinity Grace Church was very uh, meaningful for our church. We knew we needed a name change to reflect this. Uh, and that was why we needed to take out the, the word Chinese was because if we're serious about um, reaching out to Judea, to Samaria, and the ends of the world, we need to remove any potential barriers that can prevent that from happening. And so we had a poll uh, from our congregation where numerous names were submitted, uh, and then our elders and deacons reviewed the names and then picked the one that uh, we felt like represented the church best. We ended up selecting Trinity Grace Church because uh, the word Trinity was kind of powerful for us. Theologically, this is biblical orthodoxy and what we believe, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But even just from a communal perspective, this is what we hope to adhere to as Mandarin, Cantonese, and English. So many times we talk about how uh, as a Chinese church, we're three congregations in one church. But then in reality, it's like, are we staying together because we don't want to buy three projectors? Um, are we staying together because shoot, like we need children's workers and we'll take them wherever we can get them. And if all of our ministries combine, then uh, we'll be able to have the resources to meet those needs. You know, these are very practical and important things, uh, but there has to be some sort of theological significance in why three different cultures would choose to stay together. Um, so what does it mean for us to be three congregations in one church as opposed to three churches under one roof. Uh, so Trinity was just a, a powerful word for us in that regard. Grace was also a powerful word for us in that regard too, and that in order for any kind of cross-cultural ministry to happen, in order for any reconciliation to take place, and there's a lot of reconciliation that needs to take place between first and second gen, a lot of grace is indeed needed. Uh, it's grace that we extend to each other, uh, and we depend solely on the grace of God in order to maintain that unity. Uh, and it's from that grace we show each other, then that flows out into our outreach. And so our slogan ended up being, come discover grace. We want this to be a place where people experience God's grace uh, and God's power. They get to experience the kingdom of God when they come to this church. At least that's what we hope and what we aspire to and what we pray for. That's awesome. I just love the, the way that you guys have articulated who you are in your name. 
I'm, I'm a little curious. What are some of the names that didn't make the cut? You don't have to share that with us, but maybe, maybe after we finish recording, you can tell us uh, some of those names. But I'm curious, when did you guys, or, or how long have you guys uh, operated under the new name now? We made the official switch uh, the third week of January earlier this year, right before the pandemic hit. Okay. So it's probably been a little bit tough to, to see if there's been any like change or I guess any impact that the name changes had on your, uh, on who's been coming. If you've had newcomers, probably been tough to see that, huh? It has in some sense. One of the best things I think about this name change is that it has helped us to actually make a significant relationship with our city, uh, the city of Highland Park. There's a Chinese saying, in the midst of crisis, there is always opportunity. Uh, my Mandarin lead pastor always reminds me of this, that it's hidden within the Chinese character. And when the pandemic hit, our city was in great need for, for masks. Uh, they were in great need for resources. And so our church was able to, to partner in that regard and start forming relationships with the city immediately. And I think the fact that, you know, this is Trinity Grace Church instead of Chinese Christian Union Church North, uh, make the, making these consorted efforts to bless the local community really said something. Uh, we also immediately took steps to reach out to the fire department and to our police department. Uh, this was before, this was like in February, right before the pandemic actually became a like quarantine uh, mode. <laughs> but um yeah, at that point, we got to go over and have a meal with, with um, these first responders and, and, and pray for them. Yeah, it was very cool. Uh, yeah, so in terms of like our capacity to outreach, we're already seeing some, some fruit uh, in terms of like membership composition or what the English ministry looks like. I'm not too sure. We'll see what happens in a year or two. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a great picture of how a Chinese church can and should work together, especially with three different congregations, as you said, three different cultures. I'm curious, you know, with the name change and now with sort of this intentional outreach, how have the Cantonese and the Mandarin congregations responded? How have they joined in the effort or maybe uh, resisted in the effort? Because in my mind, I'm thinking this, this wouldn't necessarily directly benefit my congregation if I'm Cantonese or Mandarin as far as reaching non-Chinese speakers. So how, has, how have you seen uh, maybe unity or fellowship? How has that grown with these sorts of efforts? Yeah, that's a great question. On the leadership level, I think a lot of Chinese pastors, by Chinese pastors, I mean first-generation Chinese pastors recognize um, that the future of the Chinese immigrant church uh, lies primarily within the English congregation. That any kind of meaningful impact that the Chinese church has in America will be spearheaded by those that call America home. Um, and so from the leadership perspective in that regard, these outreach efforts have been met with uh, just incredible positivity, um, incredible support. I think a, a, really, a really bad thing that we oftentimes think of when we think of the word support is I just give you the freedom to pursue that thing. But support in another sense, I think, is, is one of interdependence, where not only am I giving you the freedom to do that thing, I'm willing to work in the background to empower you and enable you to do that thing that God has called you to do. And so that's always just been my dream for Trinity Grace Church, is this interdependence within the congregations. Um, that we, wouldn't, we would have our specific fields of ministry, of course, um, but that as English leaders, we would have no qualms about 
cooking for a Mandarin outreach because they need to spend their efforts on sharing the gospel and building relationships. And we can cook American food and it might not be the best, but we can cook. Um, if they'll eat it, that's great. You know, ways in which we can partner to, together to fulfill God's calling that he has for each of us respectively. I mean, that would be my ultimate hope. I think there's still some substantial steps that we would need to take as a church in order to get there. But I think we're definitely on the, on the right direction. Uh, from the leadership perspective, once again, um, these outreach efforts to Highland Park, we had like Cantonese brothers and sisters come together to sew masks for the city of Highland Park. Uh, and it was, this was a campaign that was spearheaded by the English. The relationships were formed initially by the English leaders as well. Um, and so they were definitely partnering with us in that ministry, which was incredible to see. So yeah, at least on a leadership level, I can say that's very positive. I think there are still some people that are quite skeptical and there's a lot of biblical preaching and teaching that still has to be done as to God's vision for the mission of the church and the international identity of the church and how we ought to theologically pursue that as an ethnic church. So there's still some massaging that needs to be done there. You know, a Chinese church should not just exist for Chinese people. It could be comprised of Chinese people, but our mission must be for whatever it is that God has in store. And that could be for Chinese people. It could also be for non-Chinese people. I really want to highlight what you said earlier about how like supporting one another is not just giving the freedom to pursue what God puts on your heart, right? Because so often I feel like that's, that's how Chinese churches operate between congregations. It's like, okay, I will, I will release you or I'll get out of the way and let you do what, what you feel God is calling you to do. And that's my way of supporting you. And that is, in some ways, that's important, right? But, but there's another level to that or another step to that where, where you really actively participate in, in joining and partnering with another congregation, partnering with another group within the church to accomplish what the God-given tasks that they have. And, and yeah, that's just vitally important. And, and I think that you really hit the nail on the head with how you describe that. Yeah, I mean, like the, the way that I described it to um, our Cantonese and Mandarin leaders is like, you know, it is completely hypocritical for us to talk about any form of outreach if we fail to reach out to one another within the church. Like if we can't even live and serve the Lord together, what kind of witness are we bearing for Christ uh, when we're talking about cross-cultural ministry? Like you can't even love the other culture within the church. What gives you any kind of idea that you're going to be able to do that in a biblical way outside of your church walls. So let's lead from within and let's start looking at each other and seeing how we can love and support each other. Yeah. What are some of, what, what have you seen have been some of the challenges in pursuing that, that sense of unity, that sense of togetherness? What is, what are, what are the challenges that you face when you're seeking to support one another, especially in a Chinese church? I mean, like I'll, I'll boast for a little bit about our, our leaders, man. I love our church leaders. Our deacons and elders are the bomb. I absolutely love serving with them. And I know that this is a very special group of people because of other kinds of stories I hear about Chinese church leaderships. So there's definitely something very special that God has been doing at Trinity Grace Church. In the position that I serve, I definitely stand on the shoulder of giants. Uh, this was a culture that was built by those who had planted this church back in 1986. And their mindset, their view of English ministry, their view of how important 
unity and harmony is uh, in the leadership and how important it is for us to lead from within, you know, that, that carries on from, from term to term, from deacon to deacon, from elder to elder. And so uh, all the glory to God for, for that, for sure. So in that sense, uh, very little resistance from the leaders, uh, incredible buy-in, uh, incredible support. And that's, that's been great. I think the challenges that we face, however, are, I think, much more practical in nature. Uh, the way that our church functions, like many other Chinese immigrant churches, is you have three separate services. Very rarely uh, do the congregations on a laity level actually interact with each other. Like you could go to church as an English person and you can see other Mandarin or Cantonese people. But if you really wanted to avoid them, it's very easy to avoid them. Um, and so when we talk about these consorted efforts to partner together, to live out God's mission together, it's easy to have these big pie-in-the-sky ideas, but then practically remain divorced from each other in our fellowship. The temptation for a lot of us is to have some sort of like all-church picnic or all-church retreat or joint service once a year, and we have these kinds of events to show our corporate identity as three cultures and then we kind of like pat ourselves in the back and feel like yes like we're really all in this together and i think for first gen that's actually very important right like i don't want to downplay it how that can be meaningful it can be and i think for a lot of first generation that is but i think for a lot of second gen they're being there's they're looking at that and they're saying that can't be it can it like we we do this picnic thing together and then we don't see each other for the rest of the year how can we really say we're doing church together? Because it has to be much more than that. So man, like I, I told one of our deacons once, I said, if I could get a small group started that is comprised of Mandarin, Cantonese, and English, I would retire because like, I think my job is done. And if this can be like a profitable small group where they love each other and they serve together, this small group, I think, would actually lead the church better than what our leaders are actually doing from the background because they will be a shining example of what a congregational unity would look like. So yeah, join me in praying for that for all of our churches. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. I, I don't think you should retire once you've done that, because I think you are going to want to reproduce that, not just in your church, but in many other churches around you that you have connections with. Because I really think that, that is, that's what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, right? It's all different cultures navigating, following Jesus together. And when you have different cultures like that, you really get a more clear picture of, of who Jesus is in your interaction with one another and as, as you kind of learn from one another. So I, I appreciate just that your forward thinking on that. That's, that's so awesome. I wanted to ask you this question, partly because of our shared background in this, but for a long time at your church, you were the youth pastor before you uh, became the English pastor. And I, I just wanted to to hear a little bit about how, how did that transition go for you? What was it like shifting from serving predominantly in, in young people and, you know, discipling teenagers to now having to lead and disciple adults? I think adults are just teenagers pretending to be adults. So, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're sinful, man. We're sinful. And we will find ways to to, to hide that sin. So in terms of like formal ministry wise, the emphasis on, on relationship building, uh, the emphasis on 
the spiritual formation and the emphasis on how leaders need to set an example. Like these were all things that I think were the foundation of how I carried on in youth ministry that I'm translating over into adult ministry. Uh, because, I mean, these are biblical things. It shouldn't just be relevant for one particular generation. Uh, so it doesn't make sense for us to require from our student leaders, hey, like you need to invest in your other, in your peers. You need to pray for them. You need to reach out to them, but then not have these expectations for our deacons and for our elders or for our ministry team leaders. It just seems incredibly hypocritical in that sense. So yeah, I guess in terms of like formal ministry wise, there's not too much of a difference. I, I preach more. Uh, my office is smaller, but my office is also cleaner. <laughs> so like these are, these are just some of the practical things that has come along with it. But I do think in, in a Chinese church, I mean, you have this in, in many other churches too, whether it's, you know, white churches or multicultural churches, but the youth pastor always kind of is the, uh, the, the almost pastor or the, the pretend pastor or the pastor in training. Uh, and once you become the English pastor, then you're a real pastor. And, and so the authority and influence that that carries, I think, is definitely something I felt on not just the, the board level with our elders and deacons, but also just within the congregation as well. And so then at that point, the question that I often had to struggle then with was, how do you use that influence then for good? You know, God has put you in this position. Um, how then do you use it to help others see some of the things, some of the blind spots that you saw as a youth pastor? So I think one of the biggest things was helping the English congregation see the teens as not the future of the church, but the church. They're part of the church right now. They can do things for Jesus right now. They're not second-class Christians. Uh, God can use them, and God can use them to teach you things right now because they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not just these young chinchillins that are woke and have no credibility because they have no life experience. Like, no, uh, we need to humble ourselves and, and learn from each other generationally as well as intercongregationally. So I think that was um, something that I got to leverage much more as an English pastor. I mean, oh man, it also has its own burdens to bear, brother. I somehow managed to find my way on every task force uh, that the church has created since becoming the English pastor. Rebranding task force quickly followed by the anti-coronavirus task force. <laughs> so like these are not small things to be done. So I, I have found myself more administratively minded and having more of those kinds of responsibilities as well. Well, you must be doing a really good job of it because if you weren't, they wouldn't keep asking you to be on that task force. So maybe if you didn't want to keep doing that, you should uh, just tank one one of these times. <laughs> well, Pearson, having served in a Chinese church as a youth pastor, as an English pastor, you have great experiences. I love that your heart is so is so pastoral that you do have a desire for spiritual formation. And that's something that encourages me as a pastor uh, that that pushes me forward. Um, well, what is what is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone serving in a Chinese American church or in Chinese American context? I can't really take credit for this because I heard it from a wise first generation Korean pastor. But I remember uh, sitting in this conference for Asian American pastors 
this was a conference that was focusing primarily on uh, interdependence between first and second generations uh, and trying to create a platform for reconciliation uh, between the two groups. At the end of this talk, uh, this first gen pastor was just uh, exhorting all of us saying, uh, whatever you do, know that you are doing it for God's pleasure and that your applause will be gained in heaven. Uh, and I found that to be incredibly refreshing. Serving in ministry oftentimes means you're allowing yourself to be placed in a position of great vulnerability. Uh, people will find things to, to criticize you about. Uh, your good intents will oftentimes be mistranslated. Uh, you are open to being misunderstood or mischaracterized. Um, and in all of these things, we are called to display grace. And it's hard. It's so hard. And yet our applause is in heaven. You know, we're going to be able to approach the judgment throne and to hear God being able to say, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have done exactly as my son would have done. That's, that's the dream, man. That's the dream. So I, I, I have a good, man. I, I have a good for sure. I know there's a lot of other second-gen pastors that are really hurting in their positions. They find opposition, not just from congregations, but then also from the leadership itself. And it's just a tough position to serve in. But our hope has to be the future that God has for our churches. And we can't expect everyone to see that at the same time. And so we ought to bear with each other's burdens and and do what we can, uh, even if it's just, you know, one, one step at a time. Hey, Pearson, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on our podcast. This has been so much fun um, just to hear about what you've been doing at TGC and to run through different ideas with, with you about um, what it means to be a pastor in a Chinese church. So we appreciate your time. Since you are our very first guest, we're probably going to have to bring you back on down the road. And so you can look forward to being a regular on this podcast, but thank you again for, for coming on. Uh, pleasure was all mine, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Pearson. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on, rate and review us, and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.